0: Hello again, Internet. I'm your host, Mike Robles, and welcome to the D&D Podcast. I am joined once again by Rodney and Jeremy. Gentlemen, always a pleasure to have you guys here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you, and hello, everyone. Right. Uh, it's been a couple months. Things have been busy. We've been, You guys have been super busy with D&D Next, and that's one of the major uh, talking points for today's podcast, is we're going to talk about the most current playtest. So... Uh, What's up, guys? What happened? Let's let's talk about the newest playtest that just went out.
1: Uh,
2: We just released it yesterday. Yesterday,
1: as of this recording.
2: Yeah, and this is now our second packet since Gen Con. Uh, We released uh, a smaller one uh, at the beginning of this month, uh, and I say smaller, but it was actually a lot of material, uh, the magic items. Um, Right. We gave people pages and pages of magic items and magic item rules to start playing with. And so yesterday... uh, the focus of it was bringing uh, the classic four classes up to level 10. And to accomplish that, we not only needed to uh, revise the classes, but then also provide new spells for the cleric and the wizard, new maneuvers for the fighter. um, And the rogue. And now the rogue, yep. That's that's one (laughs) of the changes in this packet as we were experimenting with the rogue also having maneuvers. Uh, Also, um, bringing the game up to level 10 required Uh, backing up a truck filled with monsters and unleashing them upon the game. So, uh, Rodney, how many new monsters would you say there are in this packet?
1: Uh, Boy, I don't know the exact number, but it's somewhere in the 70s because we have not only the monsters that were created specifically for Isle of Dread, we also expanded the bestiary out pretty
2: significantly. Yeah, and you mentioned Isle of Dread, which is yet another part of this packet. This packet included an updated version of the classic adventure, the Isle of Dread, which is kind of a mashup of King Kong's Island, you know, with dinosaurs and whatnot. I also think of it as uh, Lovecraft's Rila when, when I've run the Adventure There is Isle. an I was, element so, of that. Yeah, to me, <laughs> Cthulhu is sleeping there, uh, waiting to be awakened. Um, and let's see, the packet also has all sorts of revised feats. It right. has an expanded skill list. Uh, the skill system has been tweaked. We have new combat options like grabbing and disarming. Uh, so uh, of the public playtest packets that we've released so far, this one adds the most, by far, to the game. Yeah. It it also, this time around, uh, takes a few things away. Uh, the the Warlock and the Sorcerer, which appeared at Gen Con, uh, are not featured in the current packet. Uh, and there are also some specialties and their accompanying feats that have appeared before that are not presently in the packet. And this is a natural part of the playtest process, where we shift focus, uh, where we want feedback on different pieces of the game. Uh, the warlock and the sorcerer uh, have not been cut from the game because <laughs> I know I know even right. though even though we include a note saying you know we're exploring new directions. I I'm. I imagine there, somebody out there will get the pack and think, "Oh my God, the warlock and the sorcerer have been axed from Dungeons and Dragons." Internet yeah. never jumps to conclusions. No, no, <laughs> never. But no, they—they—they they, they simply have—they uh, have gone back uh, to their their magic headquarters, and uh, we we are experimenting on them.
1: Yeah, we definitely are. Really taking another hard look at those, while we also continue to expand out the the core four classes. Yeah,
2: and and the primary reason for those two classes. Uh, not being a focus for the current packet is because of the playtest feedback that we have received since we released them. Uh, We we received a lot of valuable feedback, and that has led us to uh, want to do a deep dive back into the design of both of those classes and uh, bring them back in a future packet. Um, People will also see that we've done some pretty big changes in the Classic Four classes. Uh, We already mentioned the Rogue Uh, is now getting to play with expertise dice and maneuvers, which uh, we gave to the fighter in the Gen Con packet. Uh, People will see that the cleric's class features have changed quite a bit. Uh, Turn Undead is a bit more like its its classic form. Uh, The domain choice has been recast as a choice of deity. A big change for wizards is now each wizard chooses a tradition of wizardry, and their choice gives them... Uh, a, a set of unique class features uh, that are flavored for their particular tradition. Um, and this packet features three traditions, the academic tradition, the tradition of battle magic, and uh, the tradition of illusions. Uh, and there are bound to be others uh, in in future packets. Yeah,
1: it really represents our first stab at trying to find ways to differentiate wizards of you know various archetypes from one another.
2: Yeah, and because... Looking over the history of D and D, there have been all the history of D and D. There have been all sorts of different types of wizards. I mean, even just in a single setting like f- the Forgotten Realms, you know, wizards from different parts of the world have different magic traditions. Uh, you'd then go to a setting like Dragonlance, where you have, you know, the wizards of the white robes, the wizards of the red robes, the wizards of the black robes. Right. This this tradition of wizardry approach allows us within the wizard class. To, to represent all of those different types of wizardry.
0: It sounds like there's an awful lot in this pack. I mean, there's always a lot in the packets, but, I mean, this time you've got characters level 1 to 10. You've got, you know, the wizards have these, these new feats, uh how long are you guys hoping players use this packet for? Like, I'm not asking when the next play test packet's coming. I'm just wondering, like, how long do you... How long we be collecting feedback for this stuff? Because, again, it, Internet, if you didn't pick up on it, they are listening to your feedback, and they are taking your feedback and making those changes. And so uh, my, my question to you guys is, how long do you guys want to be collecting feedback for this latest packet? Because there's an awful lot that is in this packet this time. Right, right
1: up until the next packet comes yes. out, basically. <laughs> yes. I mean, I know that's a kind of a cop-out answer, but one of the things we did do was... We tweak the way we handle our surveys slightly so that they stay open uh, uh, after they're posted. So we will continue to look at the feedback we get in, and until that next packet comes out, everything that's in the current packet is still ne- still needs playtesting.
2: And and because we've given a full adventure, the Isle of Dread, uh, because we've given you know this this truck full of monsters, new spells uh, to use uh, for the wizard and the cleric, new combat maneuvers to try out. And then combined with all of the magic items we released earlier in the month, there's material for people to play with for at least a month uh, to two months. Wow.
1: One of the reasons why we picked the Isle of Dread specifically is that the Isle of Dread is really more of a backdrop than a specific adventure in a lot of ways. So there are plenty of opportunities for the Dungeon Master to take the monsters that we've created for the Bestiary and then create his own small sub-adventures to take place on the Isle of Dread. So we're hoping that what people will do is over the course of however long they choose to play with this packet, they can try out many different levels, design their own adventures, create their own encounters, use the monsters in the bestiary that we provided to flesh out the Isle of Dread or their own adventures, etc., and really take everything from characters to the things on the Dungeon Master side of the screen, take them out for a test drive all the way through all ten levels.
2: Yeah, and it's been fun to see uh, over the last couple of months in our internal playtesting testing. To see how each DM who's been running the <laughs> Isle of Dread completely recasts it. I mean, so it oh is. Yeah. It is a really a fantastic backdrop because it it is so easily moldable by a, a particular DM. It's like this. You know, the the adventure is made out of play doh, and each each DM gets to play with it. Um, you know, one of the ones I was playing in the island was recast as a part of the domains of dread and Ravenloft. He's surrounded by wow. this mist. The island was cursed, so everything that died on the island came back as a zombie. And so, you know, my, I'm playing in that one, and my character is convinced that they have all died and gone to hell. Sort of, <laughs> like, it's like, and he's he's always, you know, say we're in hell because right. everything they fight just comes <laughs> right back. When I ran it briefly, I ran it as Ryla, and mm-hmm. the island was filled with Mind Flayer artifacts and strange Cthuloid statues. I know other people have been running it as essentially King Kong's Island, mm-hmm. you know, with Kong in the center and dinosaurs. So it, it's really a fantastic adventure location, particularly for playtesting, because you can get so much mileage out of just this one adventure.
1: Yeah, I found that week to week, since I've been running Island Red for my group, I've been able to sort of adapt what encounters I've been going to, uh, planning to run based on what we need to have play tested, right? And so yeah. I hope that our, our audience will do the same thing. And basically, as they, they gain levels, the DM will create new material for them to play through. So, for example, in, in another good example of how the adventure changes based on who's running it, in mine, basically what's happened is they, they have no idea what's going on, but something's going on at the center of the island, where when people go to the center of the island, they come back wrong and basically sort of <laughs> twisted in a in a very Lovecraftian sense, mm-hmm. and not necessarily full of tentacles and, and horrible monstrosities, but more just wrong in the head. And so now the players are going around the island, and they've discovered, oh, hey, there's this strange giant slab with this crazy carving on it that... Uh, somehow made a giant carnivorous ape intelligent enough to start performing <laughs> rituals. And just sort
2: of this... It's kind of terrifying. It is, right? <laughs> I mean,
1: they basically stumbled onto King Kong's cave lair where they found the giant monolith and, and the, the giant ape was you know performing a ritual with all these dead human bodies around it. And it basically... Uh, sort of a, a horror meets King Kong in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? But they're starting to unravel uh, what's happening at the center of the island very slowly.
2: Wow. Yeah. One, one thing that uh, people are likely to notice in this packet is uh, the introduction of rules that are a bit more complex than we've seen in the previous packets. And so this is an example of us experimenting with different levels of complexity in the game, People notice uh, in the combat rules I mentioned before. There are now rules for grabbing and disarming. So we're, we're eager to see people play testing those rules, giving us feedback on them. Uh, we're basically testing how far we want to go with complexity in the core game. Right. What in should instead move into an optional rules module? Uh, we're experimenting with some some slightly more complex options uh, in the wizard with signature spells. These are you know. A wizard, um, at least a battle mage or an illusionist now gets a spell that he or she can cast every ten minutes. Uh, hmm. you know, they, they are able to hold back some of the magical energy as they cast the spell, and then over time they regain that that magic and they're able to release the spell again. Right. Collar spray for the illusionist and uh, if I remember correctly, a magic missile for the, the battle mage. A Thunder uh, Wave is a uh, well. oh, Thunder Wave, yes. Yeah. Thunder Wave uh, Uh, for the battle major, the Evoker. Uh, We're also calling it the Evoker. Um, uh, But speaking of Magic Missile, people will see uh, signs of playtest feedback all over this packet. Uh, In previous packets, Magic Missile was level zero. Um, In this packet, it's gone back to being a first-level spell, and because of that change, it is quite a bit more potent. Yes. Oh, wow, nice. Um, Also, another big change for our spellcasters in the playtest is... Uh, clerics and wizards no longer by default are able to cast all of their zero-level spells or what were called minor spells in the previous packet um, at will. Uh, they now need to prepare those spells, but each deity choice in the cleric and each w- uh, tradition of wizardry choice in the wizard gives certain zero-level spells to the cleric or wizard that they can cast at will. Right. And, and this gives us uh, the ability to customize our clerics and wizards a bit more, And also, is putting less pressure on a DM's world to have to account for the fact that every wizard everywhere can do certain, you know, can detect magic at will, or every cleric everywhere uh, can cast light at will. This means that different types of clerics, different types of wizards will have different magical capabilities.
1: Yeah, we also made some changes on the fighter and rogue side of things. Uh, The maneuvers system was previously uh, slightly different than it is now. One of the things we did with this packet is we revised. All of the maneuvers so that they all use your expertise dice. Yes, we got a lot of really positive feedback on people liking the expertise dice for the fighter, and uh, so we wanted to make sure that when you have a maneuver, if you're a rogue or a fighter, that maneuver uses those dice in in you know the way where you roll them to do it. So a lot of the maneuvers got tweaked so that they they use your dice in that manner.
2: The 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 starting die also changed. Yes. Uh, in. The, the, the playtest feedback we got was uh, pretty resounding, that people really liked expertise dice overall, really liked the direction we were going in with maneuvers, but people were all also telling us, wow, the fighter is powerful. And our, and our, our internal playtesting showed that as well, uh, but one thing we're going to often do throughout this playtest and I've mentioned this already, is basically see how far can we go. What's too much? And the best way for us to figure that out is through playtesting. You know, basically see at what point does the game break down. It turned out starting you off with a D6 uh, that you could just layer on round after round. was a bit much. So (laughs) we have dialed it down to a D4. um, And as we mentioned, now the rogue gets maneuvers. And one of the things I'm really excited about, uh, about where we're going with maneuvers is a, they're just really fun in play. And Rodney knows that's kind mm-hmm. of amazing for me to say, It is since I am not, I am not a big <laughs> player of non magic users. Uh, but I've been having a ball playing a fighter, uh, in, in the play tests. You know, my, my character who thinks he's in hell and the Isle of dread is a fighter. Um, <laughs> But I also like that we are exploring a, a shared space of maneuvers. So people will see in the packet that the fighter and the rogue have a number of maneuvers in common, just as clerics and wizards have some spells in common. Right. But people will also see that the rogue has some maneuvers that are unique to the rogue, just as the fighter has maneuvers that are unique to the fighter. Um, and I, I really like that we are, we're exploring common ground, which is useful for people who want to switch from class to class, and there'll be something there, hey, I know how this works. You know, I know how to parry. But then you get to the rogue, and you're like, ah, but I get skill mastery, whereas the fighter gets a deadly strike. Right. And and I'm expecting we'll see more of that sort of thing in the packet.. Right, and those
1: two maneuvers are, are good examples of things that are exclusive to those classes, so that even though they're both using maneuvers and expertise dice, there's a reason to play a rogue, there's a reason to play a fighter. And I think that's going to be one of the things that, through the playtest process, we're really keeping an eye on, is do these classes that now use a, a similar core mechanic... Feel distinct enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the wizard and the cleric, for example, they both use the, the spell core mechanic, but they have a slightly different way of preparing and casting their spells. And then the in general, the things that their spells do are very different, right? I mean, cleric spells tend to be uh, either buffs or healing or uh, the occasional direct damage spell. that tends to be pretty holy, magic oriented, or you know, commands. Whereas the wizard tends to be a little more blasty, a little more elemental in his uh, spells. It draws a pretty big distinction between those two classes. And then, of course, those classes also have weapon and armor proficiency differences as well. We expect the cleric to be in combat bashing with his mace a little bit more than the wizard is. Um, So with the rogue and the fighter, we're going to have to keep a close eye on are those two classes distinct enough from one another, even though they're using the same mechanic. And so that's something we're really going to want people's feedback on as the, the process goes forward.
0: Wow. So okay. Wow. So that's that's a lot. It's a lot of information. No, but it's a lot of information, but it's a lot of good information, especially mm-hmm. for players that you know are always constantly. It's. You guys have said before in previous podcast, you will accept all feedback, which is what yeah. you want. You want all feedback, but also letting players know things that they want to focus on, things that you guys are focused on as well is definitely going to help. So for those of you that got the new playtest packet. rewind and listen to everything again and just go out there and again all of the feedback we want is important there's a ton of stuff to get feedback on Uh, this new packet sounds awesome Uh, it just sounds like it's going to be a total blast to play especially because there's so much involved this time so yeah and and there's
2: even more coming I know and there's there's more coming (laughs) which which is
0: always awesome especially when it comes to these play tests like you're like oh this is so good Wait till the next one, um, yeah. which is always fantastic. Uh, so, gentlemen, thank you guys very much. Uh, again, it sounds like the playtest test is going extremely well, uh, this new playtest test packet. Like I said, sounds awesome, and I can't wait for the next one, um, and we'll talk again, I'm sure, in the future when yes. the next play test comes out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Alright, thank you. Alright, and we are back, everybody. Uh, I am joined once well, again by Rodney. Rodney, a long time though. No see. Hey. <laughs> and uh, Peter Lee has joined us. Peter, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Uh, Peter, we sort of sprung this on because you we were originally supposed to talk about uh, Dungeon, the board game, uh, with Chris Dupuis, but he's out, well, he's not, but his wife is having a baby, so we like all right wish... Now. Like yeah. right now. As we are recording this. He is. His wife is having a baby, so we wish for a healthy baby... Uh, and Chris, we love you, and take care of that child. So Come back soon. Come back soon. Uh, So we can touch on Dungeon a little bit, but we're also gonna touch on, you guys are hearing these weird noises, on Dungeon Command. The newest set, um, Tyranny of Goblins, is currently out in store, and I am currently looking at- uh, Curse of Undeath. Thank you, thank you. The Curse of Undeath, and I'm just enthralled by all these minis on here. So if you guys guys talk about this while I just salivate over these minis, because these are amazing.
1: Sure. Well, Curse of Undeath is the fourth Dungeon Command faction pack. Uh, and perhaps shockingly, it covers undead creatures. Uh, inside this box <laughs> are skeletons, <clears throat> zombies. There's uh, a, a l- zombie wolf, you guys. A they, zombie wolf. I'm sorry, a grave Gravehound, grave sir. Please get it by the right name. Uh, <laughs> there is a dracolich, uh, which is one of my favorite pieces in the set. We have a, uh, a skeletal lancer, a, a guy on a skeletal horse. These pieces are beautiful looking, yeah, too. Yeah, we've got a, a hypnotic spirit. Uh, one of my favorite pieces is actually the Disciple of Caius, the, uh, the green worm guy that you were just touching there, yes. Ah, uh, yeah, uh, so. Those of you who have played through the uh, Dungeons & Dragons uh, Age of Worms campaign will recognize the name Caius as the, uh, the arch-villain of the campaign. And we have a miniature that uh, calls back to that. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. Yes, I know. I mean, you know. Sorry. This. I think the hiatus is over <laughs> on, on, on the Age of Worms. But uh, yeah. Well, I mean, Caius actually appeared as far back as uh, uh, second edition, I believe. Uh, Fiend Folio. Fiend Folio. That's the right. The Sons of Caius. Sons of Caius. Wow. Right. Yes. So uh, we're reaching way back into the the annals of D D history. For uh, the Disciple of Caius. But yeah, uh, the whole set is basically built around undead creatures as the main theme. And then, of course, uh, plenty of order cards built to uh, to make those, those guys run. Yeah, I think this is going to be one of those sets that, uh, like Tyranny of Goblins, not only is really good on its own, but it also adds a lot to the game as a whole. So that, you know, once you get your hands on some of the cards in here, for example, I'm looking forward to going back and revisiting my uh, drow Spellcaster Warband that was basically dexterity and intelligence. Well, now I'll have a bunch of intelligence cards to pull out of here and put into that that deck oh, as
0: nice. well. Yeah, yeah so, all right, so let's talk about strategies for for Curse of Undeath. Let's let's say that somebody's going to jump into it starting now and they wanted to play that. like I lo- like me like I love dead creatures and I love all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So even though I'm already considering mixing this one with one of my other sets, uh, if I were to play Curse of Undeath how what would be a good strategy to play? Hmm.
3: Um,
1: get your get your lich necromancer out. <laughs> not quite,
3: not quite. Uh, the the big thing is uh, the there are a lot of, of ranged pieces with the intelligent spellcasters. Um, so the lich necromancer and uh, the disciple of K- Akaius are are all um, strong spellcasters, and so they're a little vulnerable to to damage. So one of the big strengths that the undead uh, have is they also have uh, these, these tough um, these, these tough ground troops uh, with zombies and skeletons that, that are there to um, frankly absorb the damage before their, uh, their spellcasting leaders go down. So it's, it's a fun sort of wall of undead flesh that the, the spellcasters hide behind and zapping the, the foes from a distance.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of fun deployment tricks in this set as well. For example, I'm taking a look at one of the order cards called Call to Battle. And Call to Battle is a charisma card that when you attach it to a creature, that creature can tap to deploy creatures then. So basically, oh, if wow. your opponent has killed some of your creatures on, on on his or her turn, then this creature can tap to get some more things out on the battlefield, which can then, of course, immediately activate as well. So yeah. you got some fun deployment tricks. Uh, Call to Battle is also a fun one if you can get it on to the uh, Lich Necromancer because the Lich Necromancer has the ability for you to deploy creatures uh, uh, near it, basically deploy undead near it. So basically you can drop your Lich Necromancer down, put this card on him, and then he can tap to be bringing out zombies, not just, you know, in the start zone, but also around him as well. So there's a lot of fun little combinations like that that basically let you create this relentlessly advancing horde. And it's funny I said that because I then look down and I'm (laughs) holding the relentless advance card. So uh, it's a level one constitution card. But yeah. Um, there's also some fun attachment cards uh, like the spawn of Caius card uh, which uh, an undead creature can can use this card uh, and basically you attach it to that creature and whenever it starts its turn it damages creatures around it so you want to get your your undead creatures sort of forward uh, closer to the enemy and then put this on it and so it's basically creating this aura of damage around it so there's a lot of a lot of pushing forward uh, to to, to tie in with the ranged spell attacks as well.
0: Wow. Uh, let's talk about the commanders. Can we talk about the commanders? I'm yes, we to... can. All right. You know, sometimes we never know when, when we can talk about stuff. Let's talk about some of these commanders, because sure. these guys both look awesome. I'm looking at uh, Morgana Morgana Valistova.
1: Yes, yeah, so you can thank me for that name. That's, it's a great name. <laughs> um,
0: so let's, uh, let's... It's a tongue twister. It is.
1: Yeah, So uh, Morgana is interesting in that she is one of those that gives a... Ah, uh, power to all of the the creatures of a certain type under her control, uh, but it's a tap power that also costs you some morale. And uh, basically, what it does is when you tap her or when you tap a creature, one of your undead creatures, you lose a morale, but you can prevent 20 damage to this creature. So basically, uh, it's in a lot of ways it's an upgraded version of the cowering rule, but it also requires you to tap. So there's a yeah. little bit of give and take there um the idea being that basically uh she is uh, putting this ability out there for all of her undead minions to have so that your undead are even tougher to kill
3: okay. and um i'm looking at uh Dethryn everett right now and he is a necromancer that um he's at first glance his morale's only 12 and his leadership is only 6 and he, he doesn't look Especially good at, at the uh, especially <laughs> good at the start of the game, but um, his his power is he gains one leadership for each uh, enemy creature destroyed during your turn. So as oh, wow. you are destroying your enemy, your leadership value starts going up and up and up, and yeah. and suddenly you know in the middle and the end of the game you are, are are fielding this vastly superior force in numbers because you have basically the the story is. You are killing your opponent and turning him into undead uh, servants of yourself. So nice, right? And
1: Delphine Everett's really good against uh, uh, something like goblins, where they have lots of low power creatures that they might throw at you. So you know, there's some strategy in picking which one of these two leaders you want to use against. You know what you would call a weenie uh, warband in in magic terms. Against a weenie warband, Delphine Everett is great because he's going to take every time you kill a goblin, your leadership's going up and up and up. Uh, whereas Morgana Valstova, she's a lot better against uh, your sort of heavy-hitting warbands. So if they have lots of big creatures, you want to use her so that your undead last longer against those those really powerful creatures. Deltrin Everett is actually, a uh, little bit of trivia here, Delthrin Everett is actually our first, I believe, our first commander that is an existing character in the Dungeons & Dragons universe. Oh, wow. Uh, he is taken from uh, an adventure that appears in Dungeon Magazine, actually.
0: Uh, so you talked a little bit about strategy and other warbands. Now let's talk about strategy. Let's say let's say you go out there and you've got like me, you've got every one of these that have ever come out. Mm-hmm. What are some good matchups? Like uh, like I don't mean good matchups. Like a Curse of my Death is just going to stomp them. Like I want to know like what what's going to provide like intense battles. What are some good matchups? We're going to talk about some bad matchups <laughs> because uh, and then we're going to talk combinations. Cause these are all things that I want to know.
1: Well, I already mentioned, you know, the the goblins versus the the undead. If you're using Dethrender, that's obviously right. not good for the goblins. <laughs> um, I think when it comes to all these faction packs, out of the box, they're going to be pretty balanced with each other, right? So right. there's sort of ups and downs. Um, I think that uh, this box plus goblins, if you combine the two, there's some really interesting potential for some uh, some charisma cards and some. Constitution. Uh, constitution cards that will really I mean especially when you look at like the, uh, the Troll uh, yeah. for example has a, the Troll out of Goblins can benefit from a lot of cards out of this Undead set too so nice. uh, those two sets I think combine really well together uh, and then of course in the, the uh, Heart of Cormier pack you've got just about every <laughs> uh, just about every ability score yeah. Yeah. represented somewhere on some, uh, some creature card so that pack is going to dip into this one as well.
0: What was the, uh, I mean, obviously Undead was the, sort of the theme behind this, but so we've got, you know, Sing of Loth, Heart of Kormir, Tyranny of Goblins, and now Curse of Undeath. Like, is there some sort of natural progression you guys are following? Is this just something you guys, was somebody like, I really love Undead Creatures, let's let's dive into this.
3: I think an Undead box was one of the first ones we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so uh, natural.
1: Yeah, I think I, it, it sounds very simplistic to say this, but a lot of times when we try to figure out what we want to do, it's like, okay, what would I want, right? And yeah. what, what would I be excited about? And Undead is always right at the top, right? And so if you look at our first five sets, right, we basically are hitting a lot of the greatest hits of D&D characters and monsters as well, just because that's what people get most excited about, right? So uh, the only progression is, hey, what do we think is exciting to you know people who like D&D? Oh, yeah, zombies and draculiches and... So, you're saying Orcs.
0: I can get a flump set coming soon? Uh, we'll
1: work on that. <laughs> no promises. Yeah. But if there is demand, we'll if, see. Do you hear the internet demand, the <laughs> uh, dungeon command, the flump set? Right. Uh, oh. it, we'll, we'll, <laughs> you know, we got Curse of Death. we'll call it Defeat of the Flumps. <laughs> because the Flumps yeah. That's pretty much what's going to happen. <laughs> that is what will happen.
0: All right. So, Tyranny of Galvin's in stores now. Curse of Death drops when? Uh,
1: next month. Well,. I don't know when this is going to air, so let's just say November. Let's say this
0: airs in November.
1: Yes, uh, it's November 20th, I believe. Yeah,
0: I think that sounds about right. Awesome, all right. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you guys for stopping by. Uh, Rodney, Peter, thank you guys uh, again. And everybody else out there, thanks for listening.